Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how to protect your pets from the chemicals in your home with two of the world's most popular and trusted pet care advocates, Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker. Then you'll learn why resilience is a process, not a fixed trait. Let's satisfy some curiosity. One of the saddest truths about owning a pet is that they don't live as long as we do. So it's a good idea to do everything you can to make sure they live as long and healthy of a life as possible. Our guests today set out to help dog parents do just that. Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker are two of the world's most popular and trusted pet care advocates who have just come out with a new book, The Forever Dog, Surprising New Science to Help Your Companion Live Younger, Healthier, and Longer. And we asked them, how are the things that keep dogs healthy different from what keep humans healthy? In lots of ways. For instance, dogs have an incredible nose. Like they really enjoy sniffing and smelling and dogs discern their worlds through their nose. And yet we don't necessarily give our dogs ample times outside to sniff and to process information. We don't necessarily give dogs choices in terms of where they want to go and what they want to do. And we don't necessarily give dogs the ability to be dogs, to do things like sniff butts and roll around in dirt and move their bodies and do things that dogs want to do. Oftentimes I think we parent our dogs like we parent our kids, which is, oh my gosh, you've got to stay very clean. Um, and you need to not be run around and be crazy. So I think that sometimes it's the correlation of dogs are a different species. They have a different set of nutritional requirements than kids and they are animals that need to express themselves and their behaviors in different ways. How about you? Yeah, I think one of the great examples would be sort of the importance of the environment around your dog. I mean, some, so a, a lot of people may be like, ah, well, you know, why do I care? You know, this, this is my house. It's a human environment. I can just leave it as is. Why does it matter for the dog to go back to how you were prefacing it, Ashley? Researchers can show now today that, you know, our households have become a little bit more, let's say, chemically toxic than it's ever been. More cleaners that are coming out on the floors, more air fresheners in our homes because we're spending more times indoors. A lot of these chemicals or VOCs scientists are finding right now circulating in the bloodstream and in the urine of dogs and cats all over the world. And what researchers are finding, of course, is that dogs spend more time at home than we do. So the environment is so critical. It's never been more important to keep that environment as, you know, as chemical free as you possibly can for your dog, because he has to live in that environment day and night versus us. We go to work, we get out, we go to the grocery store. So I think it's ever so important. Well, we take showers. I think that one of those compelling studies that kind of made us fall over in the book was the environmental working group study that talked about how the bloodborne toxin levels of dogs was significantly higher than that of even human babies or humans because dogs are naked and fuzzy. They're low to the ground and they don't take showers. So whatever we're mopping our floor with, our dogs eventually are going to lay on it, lick themselves and then ingest it. So I think we have not necessarily recognized the chemical burden difference between animals in our environment and kids in our environment. Yeah. And that study was 10 years ago. I believe it was 48 out of 70 uh, industrial cleaners and home chemicals found in the blood of dogs and cats. So it's really important. You know, you don't think of these things when you're applying them to the ground because they smell incredible. Um, but yes, as Dr. Karen Becker alluded to, they get into the, the pads and up into the body and up into the bloodstream. And it can, it's just something that you got to be very cautious of yeah. as a pet parent. And dogs can't read. So those little outdoor, um, <laughs> those little outdoor stickers that you put in your grass that say, stay off the lawn for 48 hours. There was just pesticides applied that are not good for pets and, and kids. Awesome. 
your dog doesn't necessarily see that. So dogs actually have a really high environmental chemical burden because they do things like roll around in toxic grass because they're not aware that they should stay off of it until the next day. So I think for us, it was the overwhelming amount of environmental insults that dogs are exposed to that we don't necessarily think about and how that can impact them and their overall health and well-being in very negative ways. That's incredible to me. I had no idea. How, how do we avoid that? Yeah. Do you get all natural cleaners and, and wash our dogs every day? What, how do you do that? So that is, that's basically, and this is so interesting. When we talk to the owners, the guardians of the oldest dogs around the world, we asked them this exact question, like, how are you managing your environment? And it's so interesting because every single owner gave us kind of common sense approaches, which is, listen, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, use toxic things, make sure that you've got good air ventilation. I don't smoke around my dogs. I make sure that if I'm using toxic home cleaning products that say call poison control on the back that I'm rinsing after I, like I use whatever I want to clean my house. And then I'm rinsing it to make sure that my animals are exposed to that. So some really common sense things that pet parents themselves figured out that I, I think not ironically also have some of the oldest dogs in the world. But really, when you think about cleaning up your home, you have to think about, yes, thinking about switching to products that have less long-term residual reactions. Or when it comes to lawn fertilizers, the last study was 70% increase of lymphoma, the number one type of cancer that dogs are diagnosed with in conjunction correlation with professionally provided lawn care chemicals. So one of the things we would say is, listen, if you have to have a dandelion free yard, switch to less toxic lawn care services. So there's some common sense things you would do, recognizing that dogs have this incredible environmental insults that would lead us to make different choices, recognizing that everything in our home and outside our home is eventually going to be inside of our dogs. So if you go about picking products that way, I think it will help provide people with enough information to think about picking different, safer products. And I think a super quick hack, just open your windows. How important is it to open the windows in yeah. your home? It seems like a no brainer. Uh, I was just reading a paper over the weekend that they were finding the chemicals that were responsible from fried foods because more people are spending more time at home, frying foods in a closed environment, no open windows. And, and of course that smoke, it gets into the air and animals were in it and they're finding those levels of chemicals today in the blood of dogs and cats. So just something as simple as opening the window and yeah. allowing airflow. How cool is a simple hack like that? So look for less toxic cleaning products, give cleaned surfaces a rinse and open a window on cleaning day. Seems simple enough. Again, that was Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker, authors of the new book, The Forever Dog, surprising new science to help your companion live younger, healthier and longer. They'll be back tomorrow to talk about why you should avoid overfeeding your dog. Resilience is the ability to dust ourselves off and keep going when we take a hit. We tend to think of some people as more resilient than others. But recent research suggests resilience is not a fixed trait. Instead, it's a process that can change over time. The researchers chose a marching band for a study on workplace resilience, and they did that for a few reasons. One is that being in a marching band is a ton of pressure, as playing an instrument while marching is hard enough without doing it in front of a stadium full of people. Just ask Ashley or me. It also requires a lot of commitment. You've got your individual practice sessions, section rehearsals, and full band rehearsals all on top of a full class schedule. Just ask Ashley or me. That level of commitment can often lead to burnout, 
And staving off that burnout requires resilience. And that's what the researchers wanted to focus on. Throughout the 12-week marching season, the researchers had the band members fill out surveys indicating how they were feeling. The surveys had them measure their level of burnout, emotional stability, and commitment to the band. They also indicated how high their workload was, and at the end of the season, whether they intended to stay in the band next year. Well, as you might expect, the members reported an increase in their workload over the course of the season, and that came with increases in burnout and decreases in their commitment to the band. But those changes weren't the same for everybody. The researchers found that the more emotionally stable a band member was, the less likely they were to lose their sense of commitment. But experience mattered too. First-year students burned out much more slowly and stayed more committed than students who had been with the band longer, regardless of their emotional stability. Someone who can stay determined and upbeat when the going gets tough, like these band members did, is showing signs of real resilience. But the fact that experience level mattered too suggests that context might be just as important as emotional stability for predicting resilience. And the longer you have to be resilient, the harder it gets. Essentially, the researchers argue that resilience is a process, one that fluctuates over time, depending on your demands, your personality, and your prior experiences. So if you don't feel too resilient from time to time, just remember that's normal. A different situation might make you feel completely differently. And if you've pegged someone else as a resilient person, just remember that everyone's resilience has limits. Just ask Ashley and me. <laughs> All right, well, let's do a quick recap of what we learned today. Well, we learned that pretty much any chemical you put in your home is eventually going to end up in your dog's system because they don't bathe daily like we humans do. So be mindful of the cleaning products and fertilizers you use. And if you have to use heavy cleaner, then rinse off whatever you're cleaning when you're done so those chemicals are less likely to end up inside your pet. But at the very least, open your windows and air out your home when you can. Simple fixes like this are tips straight from the owners of the oldest dogs in the world. So don't underestimate the power of a little ventilation. Yeah, I, this and a few other stories that we have in the pipeline are making me really rethink buying like conventional cleaning products. And I'm thinking about switching over to more green stuff or even homemade cleaning stuff. It's like there's a lot of harsh, toxic chemicals in some of the stuff we use in our homes just to make it smell good, you know? Yeah. And we learned that resilience may be more of a process than a fixed trait. A study found that while marching band members with more emotional stability tended to be more resilient, people who had spent less time in the band were also more resilient. That suggests that resilience isn't all about who you are. Some of it is about what you've been through, too. I just, you want to just, uh, just vent about marching band for a second? <laughs> I mean, Cody, how many hours a week did you have to devote to marching band when you were in it? Too many. I mean, I would say, like, I don't know what you got. I had like three hour rehearsals, three days a week. Plus you had what, like four hours on game day. So that's. Oh, at least we left at halftime. Did you play the full game? Oh, yeah. We played the whole game every time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I believe we left shortly after halftime. We were division one a school, so it's not like we were. Oh, no, we weren't good. We weren't good. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> we were not. We were not a good team. But yeah, that's, you know, 
That's like 15 hours a week, say. And you want to know how many hours of credit you got for that class? Cody? One. 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 You it got was one. one credit. You had to do all of your other classes as if this was one hour of your week, like it was a lab. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's why music majors. I mean, I just, you know, hats off to you because it just takes so much time because all of your most important classes are way underestimated in your workload. And it's just I don't know why they do that, but that's how they do it. Well, I dropped my music major. Yeah. In my senior year, my senior year, I was a double major in broadcast journalism and music, just a general music, not performance or education. And my senior year, I just, you know, the resilience thing goes really hand in hand with, I think, auditions. When you audition for something and don't get the part, it goes for job applications. If you write 100 job applications, you know, there are days where you can just pound out like 30 or 40 and then like you don't hear anything. And uh, yeah. This this story means it's normal if some days you wake up and you're just like, I can't do any I can't do any more job applications. I need a day off or whatever. Like you do what you can. And in my senior year, I failed an audition miserably. I just I thought I played really well. I worked super hard for it and I just didn't get anywhere. And I just sat down. I remember going into a practice room, slamming the door, calling my dad and just sobbing. <laughs> And I was like, I can't do this. I, this isn't getting me anywhere. I'm, I'm putting in so much and getting so little out of it. I can't do it. And he was like, that's fine. You, you have another major. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't need two majors. Right. It's fine. But I didn't have that perspective because I'm in a very competitive environment. There's double majors, there's triple majors, you know, these people that just go and go and go. And it's like, you know. And it took you until your senior year to finally do that. You probably had, you know, bad experiences all four years, but that was the final straw. And that's exactly what this study is saying is that, you know, it's context. It's your past experiences. You you had taken so much and then finally that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I'm really glad I dropped it. I mean, it seems to have worked out for you. Worked out okay, you know? Yeah. So remember, quitting is okay sometimes. Definitely. Quitting doesn't mean you failed. It just means it wasn't right for you. That's right. The writer for today's resilience story was Cameron Duke. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also an audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. Open a window, air out your home, take a breath of fresh air, and then join us again tomorrow where we'll provide you with another breath of fresh air and help you learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.